welcome to all of you. Hey, Lou, welcome. How are we doing today? Good. A little bit of sadness, a little bit of excitement, a little bit of happiness, because <laughs> this is going to be our second last episode, unless I do a third one just to wrap everything up. Yeah. We're getting towards the end of the Gita, friends. <laughs> Can't believe this journey. Yeah, it's been an incredible journey, and we're so glad to have people along. Last week, uh, the week before we recorded this, was the second most listens in our history. And, uh, you know, it's just climbing. Everyone's excited and on board. And, and I know you get a lot of correspondence. I, I get the chance to see people talking with you. Everybody's excited about this. But this is not going to be the end. We're going to do some other stuff as we go on past this, too. But we're putting an end to this chapter. Right, right. Yeah, we have to, I think we'll be changing the name because it won't be about the Gita anymore. So Lou and I have to come up with a name, right, Lou? Yeah, exactly. As soon as we figure out what it's going to be, <laughs> we'll change it. <laughs> All right. So verse 66 of chapter 18 says, give up all your dharma fully, your nature. Take refuge in me, Brahma says, Brahman says, Krishna says. I will liberate you from your sins, so do not grieve. Grieve is something that Krishna brings up at the beginning of the Gita, and now towards the end he's bringing it up, up again. <clears throat> we can talk about that some more later. But when he says, give up your dharma, your nature, fully, what does that mean? I've always told you that the way the word dharma stuck in my head is that it is the essence of something, something, somebody, that's his dharma. People think of dharma mistakenly as just one thing, which is religion. No. Mm. The dharma of sugar is its sweetness. So without sweetness, sugar is nothing. I mean, the only quality it has that sticks to it is the sweetness. Its dharma is sweetness. When you take away its sweetness, it's got nothing. So, what Brahman says here through Krishna, he says, give up your dharma fully, your nature. Take refuge in me. This is verse 66. Mm -hmm. I will liberate you from your sins. Do not grieve. What are sins? We've talked about this many times before. A sin is a rebound onto your own mind and intellect of some action, thought, or other thing that you've done that causes you mental agitation. That's what sin is. <clears throat> so let's say I told a lie. Mm -hmm. I told I did something bad. I walk away from that event of telling the lie or doing something bad. And then my mind keeps bothering me to say, why did you tell that lie? Why did you do something like that? That is sin. Because now my mind is no longer peaceful, it is sinful, it is agitated. So he says, I will liberate you from your sins if you take refuge in me. This verse 66, my friends, is considered by many saints to be like the essence, the whole, uh, um, what is it called? If it's just filtered down into one little essence of uh, the nectar of this whole Gita is verse 66. Could you say it's the Dharma of the Gita? <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it could be the Dharma of the Gita. Yes. Yeah. Um, if you look at certain saints, sadhus, uh, swamis, they have written entire books on, chapter, on verse 66. So we won't do that. We won't go into it in that much mm -hmm. depth. Suffice it to say that the 
past few verses, Krishna has been saying again and again as you get towards the end of the Gita, surrender to me. Now, when he says surrender to me, it's not like surrendering on a battlefield where you put down your sword and your bow and arrow and say, I surrender. He's saying, give up your ego, renounce it. Don't mm -hmm. say, I, 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 me, me, me. The I-ness, surrender that to me. Surrender your ego to me. And then I will take care of everything. How beautiful is that? To see the power of the Supreme, the God, Brahman, everything that makes this whole universe, everything says to you, you give up just this one thing, your entire ego, surrender it to me and I will take care of you from there on in. How wonderful, how much, how reassuring. Mm -hmm. So this is the final stage. This is the final stage when Krishna is saying, just surrender everything to me. It's not for you, my friend, and not for me. This is for those who are way, way above. It's like the seventh degree black belt, right? Yeah. Highest, highest levels where you're sitting in the Himalayas. Um, give up your dharma means also give up your activity. <clears throat> All of us need to act. We need to act every second of every day from the time you are able to act as a child to the day you die. You must act all your life. And therefore, when you act, there is a part of you that says, this is me acting. I mm -hmm. did this. I told a lie. I did this bad thing. I did this good thing. It's all me. So he's saying, give up your actions. Therefore, give up your ego. If you don't have an action, there's no ego attached to it. Give up everything. Drop it like a pole vaulter going to the other side. For those who may not know what a pole vaulter is, it's a long pole that a pole vaulter runs with. There's a high bar. He sticks the pole in the ground, one end of it. The ice is holding on to the other one. And then he jumps. And then the pole sort of stakes him up, 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 up. And at the very top, he jumps over that pole and lets go of the pole that took him up there. Right. And the pole drops on one side and the body of the pole vaulter jumps on the other side. So in order to do that, He's got to use the pole to get to the top, but then drop it as he gets to the top. If he, he can't take the pole to the other side with him. Similarly, you cannot take all of this ego, minus, I-ness to the other side. Once you are relinquishing everything to the Supreme, then you relinquish all of your ego, etc. Just like a pole vaulter gets rid of his pole. The other analogy is about sleep. In order to go to sleep, you can do all kinds of things until you relinquish yourself to sleep. You can say, okay, I'm going up to my bedroom to sleep. If your bedroom is upstairs, I'm going to turn down the thermostat down here. I'm going to turn down the thermostat upstairs to make it cooler. I like it cool when I sleep. I'm going to smooth out my sheets. I'm going to turn the lights off. I'm going to, you know, uh, put some soft music on. Whatever it is that you do, you smooth out the sheets, you fluff up your pillow, you put on your nice pajamas, whatever, lavender smells in your room. But then when you lie down and you put your head on the pillow, you don't have a switch that says, okay, I'm going to turn off the switch and then I'm going to go to sleep, right? You've right. got to basically say, I'm going to close my eyes and hope that sleep comes to me. That's it. You have to relinquish yourself. You can do a lot of things, but if you, to, to sleep, it, you've got to relinquish yourself to sleep. And that's what Krishna says here. You have to surrender. 
You have to re renounce everything, including your ahankar. Ahankar is arrogance. Uh, I did it, that kind of thing. Once you surrender all of your, I am doing this, you take refuge in me, Krishna says, you are liberated. I will take care of you. Why? Why is it? Because you, once you relinquish yourself, you are no longer you. You are me. Brahman says, once you relinquish your ego, your I-ness, your minus, your ahankar, you are no longer you. You are me. Therefore, you know, I will take care of you because you're me. I don't know. Right. Can you imagine? You are then God. Yes. So verse 67, this teaching is never to be taught. Now he's going to talk for the next few verses about the person teaching because Krishna gave it to Arjuna. And then after that, so many great swamis, sadhus, rishis, teachers gave it to other people and gave it to other people. And then multiple teachers came about. So he's now addressing this to all teachers of every stage. So you can be a teacher in MIT and teaching calculus at a very high level, level mathematics, computers at that level. But you may not be good enough to teach kindergarten. You say, I, I can't teach ABCs and one, two, threes. That's not for me. But somebody else can teach kindergarten, first grade, second grade, because she or he can make it fun for little right. kids to learn ABC and one, two, three. And he, she, he cannot teach in MIT because that's too high flown. So there are teachers at different levels. And what Krishna says is he's going to first talk to you as the teacher and then talk to you as the student. So he says, this teaching is never to be taught by you. To whom? Never taught to be taught by you to a person who, four qualities. One, has no religious discipline. Don't teach it to a person that doesn't have religious discipline. Two, who is not devoted. Not mm -hmm. devoted to not particular, not a religion. Okay, don't misunderstand. Right. Not devoted to the studies not devoted to these qualities, not devoted to um, uh, religion or anything like that, but devoted to learning about the Gita. Number three, a person who is not willing to listen, okay? Somebody who's always saying, I know better. I know better than, ah, you can't do this. I know one person who says, I don't believe in reincarnation. So a whole lot of what you're talking about, this doesn't make any sense to me because if... So somebody who's not willing to listen, somebody's always looking to cavil. Look up that word if you don't cavil, know. Cavil, yeah, I like that word. Yeah. C-A-V-I-L-L. -L. Someone who just argues for the sake of arguing. Somebody who's not willing to listen, to cavil. And lastly, who finds fault with me, with a capital M, with God, with Krishna. You know, a lot of people say, well, if God were so this, then why does yeah. why do infants die? Why do children die? Why does bad things happen to good people? So those kind of people who find fault with God, he says, don't teach it to them. Don't teach it to those who are not willing to listen or who cavil all the time, who are not devoted to this study or to this learning and who have no religious discipline. And then he goes on. So he's saying this is a very valuable um, um, study, a scripture, very valuable. So if you went to Holland and you got some really special seeds for orchids or some uh, flower or a rose, 
and you brought it back to your home country and you said, I got these handful of seeds, what would you do? You would choose the choice spot to plant it where there's sun and rain and water and you would choose the best soil to put it in. You wouldn't just put it anywhere in your yard or you wouldn't just use sand or whatever. You would right. pick the best soil for it. So here he's saying, you've got this valuable studies from the scriptures that you have learned and you've taken efforts to study it. And now you have to teach it to whatever level, whether it's MIT level or whether it's kindergarten level, you're now able to teach it to say a kindergartner or a first grader in this scriptural study. The recipient has to be worthy. Otherwise it's wasted. Right. Just like the soil has to be worthy of taking this very valuable rose seed for this rose plant. Otherwise you're going to waste it. It's not going to grow. You should not waste it on a person who cannot concentrate. His mind is all over the place. It's just wasted. And you will feel frustrated. A person mm -hmm. that has no focus, no austerity. Don't misunderstand what austerity or tapas means. Tapas means the ability to concentrate everything into one. So if you remember the episode where we talked about tapas, he says tapas means conserving all of your mental, intellectual, and physical energies. Don't dissipate them. Don't waste them. If you save them and you're austere in that respect by doing tapas, your concentration has tremendous power. Your intellect has power. Your emotions have power. And your physical body has just saved all of this energy and strength to be used when it needs to be used. So he says, a tapas kaya has no tapas. Energy has not been conserved. There's no concentration of energy. Don't waste it on him or her. A bhaktaya, somebody who has no devotion, no bhakti, no respect for these studies, for God, for Krishna, no love for this. Somebody who criticizes me with a capital M, criticizes God, criticizes Krishna, finds, finds fault with me. Why do good people die? Why do bad things happen to good people? And this teaching, don't teach it to them. A Abhyasati. Abhyas is um, study, knowledge. Knowledge is alive. Remember that. Knowledge is not dead. It's not something to be just passed. Knowledge comes in and it takes a life of its own. So this is alive. It's not dead. It has to be passed on to somebody else in order to get rid of the dead ignorance within that person. To a student as well as to a teacher, because I'm like a kindergarten teacher, right? I started learning this and I learned it. I said, this has to be used by me to teach to other people, but I'm still like a first grader, second grader, teaching other kindergartners. If you were a Swami, if you were a Sadhu, if you were a Rishi, if you were already self-realized, you wouldn't be listening to this. So I'm assuming you're like kindergarten, first grade, second grade, <laughs> whatever. And I'm slightly above that. Maybe you are the same. Maybe you're higher than that. But I'm teaching you to the best of my ability at that level. When you get past this, then you'll teach, you'll reach a person who's a Swami who's able to teach at a higher level. But he's saying for both me as the teacher and for you as the student, make this one huge karma yoga of your life, a big karma yoga. Become a mumukshaksa, mumut, mumuksha, sorry, mumuksha. Mm -hmm. Somebody who is looking to gain knowledge, or somebody who wants to become a jnani. Put in the effort, study. 
to really want it, not just say, I'm curious about it. He says, don't waste your energy on people who are just curious about the Gita and just want to learn it for the sake of saying, yeah, I studied the Gita. You must have a commitment to learning. Put in the effort. If not, you're just curious and you shouldn't waste these valuable seeds on somebody who's just going to get you frustrated. You as a student must have devotion to study to the, and you must have devotion to the Lord, to Brahman and to your teacher. Now you may say, why to the teacher? Because in the Gita it says, not only must you have devotion, you must you know, serve the guru, you must teach him, or you must or give him gifts. And you say, wait a second, this sounds very self-serving on your part. Um, but there's a reason for it. And the reason is because you must have gratitude in order for you to absorb what is being said. If you don't have gratitude, to your teacher and to the Lord, then you become arrogant. You become to say, part of you says, I'm superior to this knowledge. I'm superior to the knowledge. I'm superior right. to the teacher. I, and then because of that arrogance, there's a mental block that comes on. You don't absorb everything. When you have put down your arrogance, your uh, you are grateful to getting knowledge, then you're able to receive much more is what he's saying. You must have Devotion to the Guru, to the Lord. Non-devotion produces no gratitude and arrogance. And then you find teach fault. You find fault with the teacher. You find fault with the uh, teachings. And you find fault with even Brahman. You say, why is that teacher always wearing this shirt? And why does he talk like this? And he's got this kind of an accent. You know, if you start focusing on those things, you are not going to learn about these studies. So that's what he's saying in verse 67. Then in verse 68, he says, a person who teaches this most exalted secret. Again, he brings up the fact that this studies of the Gita, the scriptures, is a secret. A person who teaches this most exalted secret, having offered the highest devotion to me, Krishna, he will come to me without a doubt. So any teacher who's teaching this, he puts in a lot of effort to study and all of this. He says he will come to me without a doubt. And this is a secret, but he's giving it to you. The teacher is somebody who teaches takes a lot of effort. Obviously, if you're a good teacher, you want to take a lot of effort to try and study this for yourself mm -hmm. and then to prepare your lessons for teaching it to the student. Very rarely do teachers say, oh, I know everything. I'm just going to go in and just start studying. A lot of effort goes into, uh, if you're a good teacher, goes into trying to teach this to other students. Goes in, And the Gita says, with pain, with effort, and with your own understanding of what you're teaching. So pain, effort, and understanding he puts in, that's his karma, right? He's doing something that he's trying to do. Rituals, Krishna says, are of no use. <clears throat> so you could say, well, I go to the temple and I, you know, walk around the temple 50 times yeah. and I take flowers every time I go to the Ganesh and I bring fruit and I give money to the priest and I donate money to the temple. He says, and I sit there and I meditate for 20 minutes. He says, this is far better because you're making yourself a better person studying the Gita. He'll get to that in the next few verses. If a person is ready to listen, Krishna says, it means he is a devotee. 
somebody who really says, I'll take the effort to sit and listen, not just turn it off after one minute of listening and say, forget it, I listened enough. Teach that person who is a devotee who is ready to listen. Teach that person without fail. Not only the student benefits by doing this, but also the teacher benefits. So by doing this, I have benefited a lot because I read the Gita myself, I studied the Gita, I listened to the Gita, I went through many different Swamis and their writings and their teachings and made tons and tons. I have two rooms just filled with my handwritten notes on various uh, uh, of these scriptures. So the teacher benefits because I've had to go through all my notes, parse them out, take little sentences from here, little verses from here, examples from there, and so the teacher benefits in order to do the teaching. Why is it secret, exalted secret? Because just as an example, you say somebody is to somebody and you convince him that Aham Brahmasmi, he says, you are God, I am God, you're Brahman. He says, oh, if I'm God, if I'm Brahman, what do I need to do any prayers for? I don't need to do a devotion prayer. He thinks he's God, he gives up his devotion. You've done right. him a disservice. That's why if it's secret, it may confuse him. That's why it's secret, because he doesn't understand what, what uh, a God is. To whom is it taught? He says, teach this. Now, most devotees to God are those that want artha and kama. Artha is security and kama is pleasure, right? You mm -hmm. want money, you want a house, you want to be not caught in a tornado or a hurricane. Right. That's all security. That's all artha. You say, in addition to that, I want money in my pocket, a good bank balance, a steady job of income. That's, uh, and, and that it gets translated into, if I have a lot of money, I can buy myself a BMW, I can buy myself, go on vacation. So that's karma, that's pleasure. So he says, most devotees study this because they want artha and karma, security and pleasure. However, a devotee that is looking to learn this for the sake of learning it for himself, not to show off to people, uh, those devotees who want the knowledge of God, that is a true devotee, teach him. One who is teaching this knowledge is showing the highest form of devotion to me because he is on his way, maybe not in this lifetime, maybe in future lifetimes, but he's on his way to becoming me from being a human being. So that's another thing that you as a student can also do because as you get better, you can start teaching other people through your own means. Mm -hmm. And those means don't have to be teaching the way one Swami might teach because there might be a Swami in, in the Himalayas who people go travel half an hour to go to li listen to his lectures and he sits there and he talks to 100 people sitting in front of him. Others may use YouTube or podcasts or whatever. Others may just say, listen, I'm giving away free books of uh, Gita. I may, I'm giving CDs of different Swamis that are talking. I'm, give, I'm, I'm putting together study groups, you know, whatever. But you're doing your karma. Verse 69, a person who shares this knowledge who teaches this knowledge, that person is very dear to me, Krishna says. There is nobody more dear to me than he who spreads this knowledge. Why? Because after all, a person who is doing that is in essence getting closer to God himself, to becoming God. So the greatest form of devotion or bhakti is the study of the scriptures. 
You could be a Muslim, a Jew, a Christian, a Hindu, but if you are doing the study of the scriptures with devotion, that is the greatest form of devotion there is. Any kind of karma that you do, that's action, that's service, you're serving God, you're serving humanity. Shankaracharya says there's four levels of karma. <clears throat> so the first level of karma is material gifts, right? You give money, you give mm -hmm. food, you give clothes, you're giving material to somebody else. That's karma, right? You're doing something good for somebody else. The second level of karma, higher than that, because it's easy to just write a check. Here's a check for you, that's charity. Most of us think of donation, karma, um, uh, charity as writing a check. Right. That's the lowest level. Higher than that is a physical level where you use your arms, you use your legs to say, I'll help you. Like when I was a Boy Scout, when I was very young, they used to tell us, walk somebody across the street. And many of us just grabbed somebody standing there, didn't even want to cross and say, okay, come on, I'm <laughs> going to take you across. I'm just kidding. Mm -hmm. That's the physical level. The third is either emotional or intellectual level. So you're sitting with somebody who's sad and you're saying, I'm going to you know, talk you through this difficult time, make you feel better. You're using your mind, sharing your compassion to make him feel better. Or you're using your intellect to use your ideas, your knowledge to help him get to a better stage. That's the third level, emotional or intellectual support with your mind and your intellect or buddhi. And the highest form of devotion, highest form of karma is teaching the way for somebody to get to Brahman. Teaching the way, you're saying, here's a flashlight, I'm going to show you, this is the way you get to God. Whichever your religion, whatever it is, the same path, the same Brahman, same God, whatever you think of it, the same path, here it is. Here's a flashlight, I'm going to show you the way. That is the highest form of karma or activity or service you can do. The one who knows me is me myself, is what God is saying. So he says, you get to start to learn about me and, and you're on your way to reaching me. Thus, there is no one dearer to me because you're coming to me. You're in part me. Like, I, this is my thumb. I know it as my thumb. My thumb, of course, I'm going to love my thumb better than I love Lou's thumb <laughs> because I feel the pain. I feel the pleasure. My tongue gives me more pleasure than somebody else's tongue because it's mine. It right. serves me. So Krishna says, as you get closer to me, you are dear to me. There's nobody more dear to me, he says. So you can do study groups, CDs, books, online courses, transform others. That's the main thing. Transform others, not to people say, oh, yeah, this is just to convert people to Hinduism. There's no such thing. You don't convert to Hinduism. There's no such thing as mm -hmm. converting to Hinduism. You transform others to become better people while practicing whatever religion they want to practice. You help others. You benefit society. You benefit the world. That's verse 69. So as you see here, he's talking about in these last few verses, how to teach, what benefits there are to teaching, what karmas there are to teaching. And then for a student, what benefits there are for you as a student, what you should be like as a student, how you should behave, how you should think and not cavil. Right, Lou? That's right. <laughs> I love that word. I haven't heard it in a long time. Yes. So friends, this is uh, episode 214. 
Next time we'll do 215. I think that's going to be either my last episode or the ep second last episode. It's been a long journey. It's been a pleasure for me. There is a certain amount of sadness that it's coming to an end. Certain excitement and happiness that I was able to complete this karma yoga of mine doing this. So I'm happy you've been there with me on this journey. And I greatly, greatly appreciate you, Lou. Thank you so much for doing this with me. I would never have been able to do without you. One more to go, maybe two more to go. And then we're off on another adventure that you can all follow us on. Yes, please do. Thank you. I'll see you next time.